Northwestern Mass of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. One thing we see in sports today, in technology, and in media in general, is so much talk about one acronym, NFTs. NFT stands for non-fungible tokens. And we think about what is a non-fungible token? Well, we see that in the world of sports around things like collectibles. You know, back in my day, you had baseball cards and we traded baseball cards. The modern version of a baseball card is, is evolving to be an NFT. It's really creating that digital asset and the digital scarcity around it. You see lots of stories around teams or leagues, organizations, and even down to athletes themselves creating their own NFTs and NFT companies. This extends far beyond, you know, the sports world where things like artists, you see Mike Winkleman are also known as Beeple uh, selling his work recently through uh, through auction for, for millions and millions of dollars as, as an NFT. And, you know, we wanted to, to dig down into and figure out really what is an NFT and, and its uses and, and, and what are the underpinnings of that technology that make it so interesting. I think that, you know, as a collectible and as an item that, that you can have from a scarcity perspective, they're really cool. But what underpins those, you know, the smart contracts that can be embedded into NFTs has a ton of promise, not only in the world of, of collectibles, but tons of other applications in sports and sports business themselves. So today to talk more in depth about the world of NFTs, we have an outstanding guest, Kurt Halit. Kurt is co-founder of Legacy League, which is an integrated non-fungible token creation marketplace platform where he provides senior leadership and oversees the business and corporate development function. Kurt's a former Wall Street executive with 30 years of experience providing advice to a broad range of corporations and institutional investors. Until February of 2021, Kurt was the co-head of a global energy research at RBC Capital. Under his leadership, the RBC Energy Research Team transformed from a Canadian-centric franchise into a globally renowned enterprise. His novel business plans helped drive RBC's energy franchise revenue from $250 million at its peak, while also boosting its energy research market share from 25th to 10th. As an equity analyst, Kurt was also recognized as one of the leading industry experts in energy in the world by the likes of institutional investors and the Wall Street Journal and was a frequent guest on CNBC and Bloomberg. Prior to RBC, he was affiliated with some of the largest global asset management firms and investment banks, including JP Morgan, Merrill Lynch, Lehman Brothers, and Solomon Brothers. Kurt graduated with a BA in finance from Michigan State University and has a master's in sports administration from Northwestern University. He currently serves as an executive advisor to the athletic director at Southwestern University and sits on the Department of Finance Advisory Board of Michigan State University. You know, personally speaking, Kurt was a, a former student in, in my course, and it's really cool to see what he has done, you know, with his experience from a Wall Street perspective and now transitioning that into his work with Legacy League and all that they have done in the NFT space and especially around, you know, the college athletic space as, as a, the NIL market opens up and, and and those student athletes can make money on their name, image, and likeness. So we hope that you all enjoy this wide ranging conversation with Kurt Lee. Kurt, thanks for taking the time to, to join us today and, and, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, great. Great to be here, uh, Bryce. Really appreciate it. So 
so many of our listeners, and myself included, you know, when you're in conversations or you're consuming material around the, the, the sports space or the tech space, uh, the phrase NFTs and, and all things about NFTs are, are so prevalent. And if we take a, a step back, you know, for our listeners, could you really sort of explain what an NFT is and, and uh, the value and, and, and all those things around them? Yeah, yeah, for, for sure, right? Uh, so non-fungible tokens, as they're known, have been around for a number of years. I think some of the information I've seen would suggest maybe they were originated back in 2012 or 2014 in that time period. But really didn't uh, really gain some widespread popularity until right around when the when the pandemic hit, and um, I guess it really drove a lot of people who are homebound into other forms of um, investing or collecting or entertainment. I guess is is another another way, right? So the non fungible token, in its broadest definition, really is a a, a digital representation of anything anywhere of any type. It could be a physical object, it could be music, uh, could be you know uh, artwork. So it's really putting a, a digitizing um, anything that would normally be touchable or transferable or otherwise, you're now just creating a digital record of, of that. And you know the, the dynamic around it more specifically is it utilizes blockchain technology to create the unique element, right? So when you think about, people think about fungible, a dollar is fungible, a dollar is a dollar, a dollar. Um, doesn't matter if it's in four quarters, 10, you know, 10, 10 dimes or uh, a greenback, right? Uh, in the context of a non-fungible token, the blockchain embeds a specific digital code onto that uh, item to make it unique, right? It is the only item that has that code on it, which basically says that the uh, the item is authentic, right? It came authentic, whether it's the artist or it comes from authentic, meaning the company that created, right? Took the, the um, into the physical aspect or other, created a digital version of it. That code then tells everyone who buys it from that point forward that this was an authentic item, right? That authenticity that you start to embed elements of scarcity. Right. So if it's like uh, like an artwork, like you can see behind me and if anybody's wondering, I'll give you a guess. That's actually the edge from YouTube. But nonetheless, um, you know, the, the artist could make it one of one. So it's extremely unique. Uh, it can make it one of 10 or one of 15 or whatever that number is. We could do the same thing um, with a with a non fungible token. Right. So the more rare you make it, uh, then theoretically the higher the value, that not just out of the gate when you first sell it, but also over time because it is the only one that, that exists. The other element just around it, so everybody understands, is that that blockchain dynamic is, is really kind of an accounting ledger for all intents and purposes, right? So even though um, it is meant to be anonymous, right? So whoever buys and sells an NFT, it really only has a identified by a serial number, right? It basically enables everyone to see how many times that that asset transacted and at what price point it transacted by, right? And then a third element, um, which is cool about the blockchain technology is you can embed sort of the contractual agreement onto that digital asset itself. So you don't need a paper contract per se. So within that digital uh, asset, you are going to have these specifics around, you know, who's going to get paid what, when they're going to get paid, and whether or not there's going to be royalties, you know, on the uh, on the back end. So a little bit may maybe of a winded way to explain the broader context of a non-fungible token, but, you know, hopefully that gives uh, everybody's going to listen to this podcast a little bit more than they had before. 
No, I think it's a great explanation. I think that the, the hitting on those three key points is, is is really important because, like you like you mentioned, right? And working backwards, the ability to embed in the contract piece of it, right? The authenticity, and and then two, the creating the scarcity. And I think that's what's really interesting about it. If you look in the digital world, scarcity is actually a really hard thing to create, right? Because once something is on the internet, it kind of lives forever. And this is a really interesting and smart way to create that scarcity. It harkens back to, you know, someone asked me to explain it recently. And I was thinking about, you know, we recently moved and I still have baseball cards, physical baseball cards, right? I own those. I own the physical physical asset that's there but it is a way in a digital sense of creating that scarcity to say it's one of one or you know it's one of ten thousand whatever it may be but you own that and you are the owner and and then that can be authenticated so i think that the concept of creating scarcity around it is is really interesting i mean of those three pieces that you talked about do you kind of find them as sort of equal footing or do you think that one of them is is the more important part of you know the non-fungible tokens well, you know, I think the the element, there's an element of integration, right? Uh, if you don't have the blockchain technology, then you don't have the ability to have that digital element of co- uh, authenticity, right? Um, you would still be able to have a paper contract, I guess, you know, related to that, but that would make it much more com- cumbersome and much more difficult to, let's say, freely transact, right, in, in a secondary marketplace, you know, type of dynamic. So, I just think the um, the utilization of the blockchain technology to to in use for non-fungible tokens really has been a major enabler, right? To to give uh, a wider uh, a wider array of people an interest in looking at the non-fungible token as as a new form of collectible, right? I, I, we talked earlier on about this in a broader context of what a non-fungible token is, but you know when when we think about Legacy League and what we're doing at Legacy League, we're effectively creating a digital collectible. We're creating a digital sports memorabilia is really what we're doing, right? So it could be an autographed jersey. It could be a video highlight. It could be an action photo. It could be an autograph. It could be all of them combined into one, right? Because you could take this this video highlight of a certain player doing something in their sport. And if that player uh, was so inclined, they can uh, say, okay, if you buy my, my NFT, you can get this autographed jersey in addition to that. You can get a social media shout out in addition to that. We can do a meet and greet. I can coach your 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 kid in whatever sport it is that I'm I'm really good at. Right. So it, it goes beyond and beyond above and beyond just a physical sports memorabilia dynamic, right? It now all of a sudden becomes more of a social interaction between the athlete and and that and that buyer of that NFT. It's a great parlay into, you know, we I wanted to start for the listeners around at a base level, what what is an NFT and, and sort of the underlying value of that. But you mentioned Legacy League and, and sort of what you're doing today. You know, when we look at NFTs and, and the smart contracts that underpin them, there's a lot of implementations of it. But I think what you're doing and, and what Legacy League is doing is a really interesting implementation of NFTs and, and how those work. Can you tell us a little bit more about what it is that you're doing with Legacy League and, and sort of how that built and how it's come to be? Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, I'll put it in this context. So I spent I spent my entire career, 30 years of my entire career on, on Wall Street, mainly working in energy and in, in the energy markets. And um, but I always had a, a, a passion for sport. I had an interest in technology, and obviously I had the business background. 
And, um, you know, I always knew that, you know, um, I was going to wind up, you know, if you will, pulling the ripcord on that Wall Street gig at some point and uh, just decided that, you know, January of, uh, of 2021 was going to be that, that time period. And then I was going to go out and figure out what I really want to do when I grew up. Right. So that, that kind of uh, that kind of led me down this path of uh, starting to take courses at, at Northwestern and, and master's in sports administration to learn more about you know, what was going on in, in the real world as it related to you know, the sports business. Um, so I just saw this really cool intersection. Right between the evolution of what was going on with non-fungible tokens as, as, as a form of a digital collectible, uh, along with the changes, prospective changes that were happening and, and did happen as of July 1st of last year, uh, with the uh, name, image, and likeness dynamic for college athletes. Right. So, um, you know, my business partner and I basically, you know, took it upon ourselves to say our mission was really to help every college athlete in every sport at every level of play utilize this non-fungible token as an opportunity to make some money while they were playing their sport in college. So that's how we were born. I think it's a really interesting convergence of two things, right? You know, so, if, and, and you can probably do a better job of explaining this than me for the listeners, but, you know, we talked about the, the NFT space, the technology behind that, but like you said, as of July 1st, uh, the name image and likeness, or as, as you'll often hear in, in you know the public spaces, NIL um, legislation, but also the requirements from universities, giving those those players or student athletes the ability to capitalize on their name, image and likeness. And, and I guess, can you talk about that a little more and talk about what that legislation has done and what that's opened up for student athletes that that, you know, wasn't there not so long ago? No, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, um, what kind of I'll, I'll, I'll make this one really brief in the context because I know there's a kind of like extended history um, to it. And, and but effectively, you know, there was always this issue that, you know, college athletes were somewhat prevented to do what other students were able to do in college, which was to make some money from their name, image, and likeness. And there were very, very stringent rules um, at the NCAA level uh, related to not permitting the athlete to, to do that. Right while they were playing their their sport, so um, effectively the uh, the supreme there was a supreme court ruling that came down in late June of last year that basically said uh, student athletes are now permitted to use their name image and likeness uh, to to make some money uh, while they're in college, um, and on the back end of that there were some state laws that went into place. There are some states that were anticipating this change was going to happen and this ruling was going to move in favor of a student athlete. And there were about, uh, at the time, about 20 states that, uh, fairly short order, um, you know, put, put laws into effect. Uh, the laws, though, are, are kind of wide ranging, and I'm not going to get into every state law, but some of them, per, per, uh, like the state of Texas, prohibit any student athlete from monetizing their name, image, and likeness by wearing the logo of the school in which they attend or which they play a sport. Um, yet there are other uh, states that are a little bit more lenient in, in that dynamic and then really leave it to the university and the athlete to determine the best use of those trademarks and, and other IP, right? So, um, but in, in essence, it was a watershed ruling, um, long time expected, long time coming. And the benefit of it is now every athlete um, at every level of play now has an opportunity uh, to monetize their name. One thing I would just say in that context is 
in the broad definition of that or the broad application of that. Uh, it's really meant that most athletes really are um, using it to for sponsorship or endorsement opportunity you know, with, with other companies. And, you know, from a legacy league standpoint, you know, we 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 thought that using the non-fungible token was a more interesting avenue uh, for us to take. But um, again, that the the broader context now, um, athletes are able to monetize a name image likeness according to state law. And if you're in a state where there's no law, then whatever the university guidelines are. And, and I think you're right. I think that you know, I think back to my time as an undergrad at Purdue. You know. And I've seen a lot of people talk about how with the name, image, and likeness, there's not going to be a lot of athletes that are making millions of dollars every year, right? But if you look at – just using my example from from going to, to undergrad in West Lafayette, Indiana, right, at local car dealerships from a sponsorship perspective or those things, right, you see athletes being that a good avenue to do it. But what you said I think is true of that NFT space being more interesting and the reason being, you know, it's a great market for it. And what I mean is, you know, younger people, the student athletes included are often early adopters of, of technology. And I think it's a really cool convergence of, of those two things. So Kurt, kind of tell us about legacy league from a, a platform perspective. Does it work on both sides? And what I mean by that is me or any of our listeners as a consumer, can we come out and buy those, those NFTs from you or, or those college athletes that are, that are trying to, to capitalize on those things. And then the converse, is there an avenue for those, you know, uh, obviously many of our listeners are in, in the sports space and, and many of them, even student athletes themselves, is there the avenue for them to, to be able to come and monetize those things? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, our, our marketplace is actually poised to go live here uh, within the course of the next couple of weeks. So we are at the end of Feb- at the very end of February. So we're talking here, in, in March, we're gonna we're gonna go live. Um, we're gonna start dropping the NFTs um, of the athletes that have already signed on. As, uh, and we have about 120 athletes that uh, signed on to our platform. Um, a mix of uh, 16 different sports, uh, equally split between men's sports and women's sports. So, you know, really glad to see that there's been a wide uptake. Uh, for anybody who'd uh, like to, you know, purchase the NFT, um, you know, go to our, our marketplace site. And uh, we'd have a couple of different options for you to search by school. Uh, you could search by sport. You can search by specific athlete. Um, and we'll have a landing page for you in, in, in every one of those circumstances. So if you go they say, hey, I'm interested in Northwestern sports, right? And we'll have a whole list of all your sports. You point click. Hey, I want to look at who you have for, you know, lack of better you know, option football, right? We go look at who you have for football. Then you can basically look at all the different athlete profiles and say, hey, I'm interested in this one. Then it'll take you to the marketplace page, right? And on that marketplace page, it'll show you basically the asset that you've been buying. Um, and we can either do it in an auction process, right? Or we can do it in a set price, right? And it's all going to be set up point and click friendly, right? Everything is going to be point and click friendly. And in addition to that, it's um, we're not requiring the... Uh, you don't need a crypto wallet, okay? If you want to use a credit card or a debit card, um, it's it's easy. If you want to create a crypto account, you know we can we can manage that, um, or we can um, we can handle that, right? Uh, but we really wanted to make it as as uh, we really wanted to open up the market to as many buyers as possible. 
right? So based on all the research that we did, clearly baby boomers and Gen X um, uh, less less inclined to maybe open a, a crypto wallet. Less, but you know, millennials and Gen Z are are the ones who are going to definitely take that up. But we wanted to open it up to a broader market as possible. So. What I, what I like to say is we're an integrated platform, right? We create, we help the athlete create the NFT, and then we list it on our marketplace. We list it for initial sale, and then we also have the marketplace continue on for any secondary market transactions. So I kind of liken this to almost like an investment bank concept, right? Where we're helping the athlete. If the athlete you think about is like a corporation, right? And their initial NFT sale is kind of like an IPO. Right, uh, we're going to help them understand the pricing dynamics of that, and then we're going to put it on our marketplace. So almost like a New York Stock Exchange of college sports NFT. I think it's an excellent point that you make around you know one question I often get or I hear a lot is the approachability of these things, and what I mean by that is. I think, you know, for myself, sometimes I feel like I haven't even figured out regular money, let alone cryptocurrency. But I think a lot of people have that sentiment and, you know, buying something using only cryptocurrency or the the ability to purchase something with, you know, like you said, that underlying crypto wallet is daunting for some people. So I think it's a really interesting approach to be able to translate that back to something that everyone understands, right, from from an actual I guess, for lack of a better term, fiat currency that you that you can pay for, um, in in different realms. I think the other interesting thing you bring up is sort of that marketplace potential of it. We talked earlier about the underlying smart contracts that are there. With that, is how does that work, or is there a flexibility for the athlete to set that? Is it is it sort of a collective thing that you work on? on how that goes forward, meaning you talked about the, it's a, it's a really good analogy of the IPO and then the go forward sales. I think that's one thing that, you know, what I see the biggest value in some of these things is for the creator, the artist, the athlete, you know, Picasso's family is not getting money every time a Picasso is sold anymore. Right. But going forward in this scenario, when those smart contracts underpin this, the creator, the athlete, the person that really is involved in making that asset a possibility can then get paid going forward. So is there some flexibility on the marketplace side or how does that smart contracting process work? I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up, uh, Bryson. That's a very important point, right? So look, in, in the context of, of the smart contract, right, you, you can write it up where, you know, the athlete will get X percent of the initial sale, initial proceeds, of each NFT that they list and sell in our marketplace. Um, and then they um, can have the option of um, embedding a royalty uh, on that NFT as well uh, for each you know, secondary market transaction. So every time that sells to your point in the future, right, um, that athlete will continue to generate income, right? So it's, it's uh, to us, it was really a, a great, you know, I'm thinking about it like, it, you know, as a college athlete, are you kidding me? It's like, I, I can, I don't have to go out and get a real job per se, right? I don't have to take a, any real time away from my studies, my, my athletic endeavors. What you're really going to do as an athlete is you're going to take some time away from your discretionary social media time instead of going to other people's social media and helping them make money. You now can spend that time and help yourself make money 
and marketing and promoting your own brand and your own NFT um, that's going to be listed on our on our marketplace, right? Um, so you know, it's in that point too. They have an opportunity to generate near-term income, immediate income, and then they get a long tail from that, depending on how active they want to continue to be uh, in their future endeavors. Like, and let's let's just say you know, there's a certain athlete that maybe starts their uh, uh, athletic career in college with maybe maybe they are not considered at that point to be uh, good enough for professional sport, but it turns out they wind up developing and going on a professional career. So now whoever had bought that NFT of that athlete while they're in college, right? Now the value of that is theoretically going to be much greater sometime in the future. So the greater the value is, the greater the royalty is back to the athlete, you know, who initially, you know, minted and dropped this NFT on our, on our platform, right? So it's like the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, on both sides in a way, right? In the sense for the athlete themselves or for it, it. What I always find fascinating is, is you know, I think we talked about this at the beginning. Some of this is born out of, of you know, being stuck at home and, and really NFTs becoming an, an asset class in some ways. And so you see two, two sides of this. There is the fan from a collectible standpoint, right? Which is, and you would know better than me, sort of the share of that market that is there. But there's also, for lack of a better term, the investor, the institutional investor or the individual investor that says, oh, these, you know, these athletes, it's like, it's like investing in artwork or investing in actual collectibles. I mean, for years and years, we've seen baseball card shows and expos where people go and, and trade and invest in these cards. And I think, like you said, there's a there's a win-win on both sides of that for the athlete themselves and the go forward, but also the investor in that if that if that's the route the the person that purchased that because that asset then it can continue to appreciate and the underpinnings of are there in the smart contract. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and you you, you identify right, and and I would say the way we think about the buyers of the NFTs again, it, it depends on the. The athlete, it depends on the sport, depends on the school, you know, uh, but at the end of the day, right, there's no, there's, uh, you know, a fairly significant, you know, alumni base at every one of these schools that has some deep-rooted emotional connection, right, to that university in one form or another. And, you know, it could be, you know, you at Purdue or some Michigan State alum, could be me at Michigan State and, you know, uh, you make donations uh, for varying purposes and you get a thank you note and you get a take tax write off and you get a memory, but that's all you get, right? And so that's only as good as my memory, right? So in the context of uh, thinking about this and the same emotional connection, you know, to, to your university, right? Uh, you now have something that you can see, right? You have something to bring with you and it's not just on your wall. Right. It's something that you can bring with you on your phone anywhere you go and you can show it off to anybody you want to show it off to. Um, and uh, you can have a constant reminder, um, you know, of that of that time. Like you think about a memorable moment at a athletic event that you were there with all your friends that became a real, you know, uh, element of your college experience. Right. You can now own that. Right? And you can own that in perpetuity or you can flip it and sell it, you know, to somebody else who values it more than you do. That's the really cool thing about how this is developed. It's funny because you, you mentioned that moment. I literally thought of that moment in my head from undergrad of when I was, you know, 
I was fortunate enough when I was a freshman in college was Drew Brees senior year and and last time that Purdue went to the Rose Bowl and I think of the, the game against Ohio State when uh, he threw a touchdown about about a sixty yard touchdown pass to Seth Morales I would like to own that I would like to own that digital moment to keep that keep that forever in perpetuity but it, I think that that's what's really cool about it right because you see those things captured in in whether it's cards or posters or images and so on but those aren't evolve for the modern world in, in many ways, right? Uh, you come to your home, oh, it's great that you can see that or you have an autographed picture of whoever that you can see on your wall and those things. But it didn't evolve to, like you said, sort of having it with you, having that, you know, and I think that that as we evolve to different ways of storing, not only storing value, but uh, showing, you know, that those sort of experiences that we have, it's a really cool way to do that. You know, you mentioned, you have 120 athletes on your platform today. And I guess the curiosity from, from me is, is that the route that it's going? And what I mean by that is, you know, both, and again, I know this question, both of these spaces are continually evolving, right? Both spaces are rapidly evolving, but is it individual athletes that come to you or is it more on a university level or is it both or, or how does that work? Well, you know, I'll, I'll speak specific to the, the Legacy League, but before I do, you know, there, there is a, an evolving ecosystem, as, as you kind of identified, right? Um, there's an NIL ecosystem, there's an NFT ecosystem related to college sports, or sports in general. So I would just say that there are a number of different business models uh, that are out there at, the, at this point in time. Um, you know, our business model is really to engage with any athlete that has an interest in wanting to um, kind of uh, create their legacy in the metaverse, okay? And and we really are trying to tap into the entrepreneurial spirit of these of these individual athletes, right? So um, a lot of what we've done so far is is either been really straight up, you know, one on one recruiting, um, you know, by me, um, and, and to a certain extent, my business partner. Um, some of it has been through other what I would call NIL enablers, right, that are uh, providing listings and businesses that are out there to help the college athlete find ways to monetize their, their NIL. Um, and, you know, it depends on the school and the situation, but i give you one example. You know, we probably, uh, within a matter of a week, have been able to uh, sign a have about one third of the Arizona football team on onto our platform. And that's not because we were pursuing one third, it's because it caught like wildfire somehow, some way in the locker room. And next thing you know, all the all these guys wanted to be part of you know of what we're doing, right? Uh, just gives you one one general example. But you know, there's other business models out there that you can go after a group of athletes. You, can, you know, there's certain uh, business models out there that are trying to entice athletes with what some pay. Uh, to get involved in this, um, you know, I won't give you too much of a side commercial, but I just think in an emerging market like this, from a company standpoint, it's fiscally irresponsible to, to offer a big money guarantee for, with all due respect to college athletes. And, you know, if you just take a look at the most recent example with Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma, um, you know, he claimed out pretty quick. So if you had an NFT company that guaranteed him some money up front, you're out of luck and you're out of money, right? So uh, it's a pretty interesting dynamic how it's all evolving, um, Bryce, but you know, we're really kind of focused, uh, as I said a little bit earlier, 
on you know, providing an opportunity for every athlete, every sport, at every level of play. And you know what I see our platform really being here to is there are those that truly believe in themselves, the entrepreneurial nature, and really want to go out there and, and hustle and uh, you know kind of create value in their own brand. And we're going to help them along the way. Yeah, I think that's like you said the the sort of grassroots movement or the word of mouth piece of it, I think is a really interesting, interesting concept, right? Because, you know, you it, thinking back of, 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 you know, as a college athlete, right? You, oh, somebody next to me in the locker next to me has this, but I, I could, you could do that easily. Right. And, and as you've said here today for an athlete that wants to be involved in that marketplace is pretty straightforward. And I think it makes a whole lot of sense for them to be able to do that. I mean, I, I, one of the last things I'd ask you is you mentioned sort of that NIL sort of uh, broker or you see people represent, is that something that you run into more often now or are there uh, strategy companies around this of saying, hey, uh, we're looking for a partner to do NFTs for these types of, of athletes or, or so on? Or is it more, again, based on the individual level? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I again, it's 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 evolving, evolving pretty rapidly. And, and you know, um, I would say that we've had an opportunity to have discussions with you know, agents and agencies. Um, we've had discussions with some of these NIL enablers, and we're really, you know, in the process of, of really identifying the potential partners that really kind of share our mission and, and share our vision. Um, again, which is to focus on every athlete, every sport, at every level of play. Now, look, we want we want every athlete, right? We're not we're not saying we don't want the top two percent. We want every athlete participating what we're doing um there is one company in particular that you know we, we are in early phases of discussion uh, regarding um, a, a partnership where we would become uh, let's say their official um, nft partner right and anybody who would go to that platform would effectively be directed to us if they would create NFT. Um, again we're kind of early on in that, that process i feel pretty good about how that can play out um, and I think it's going to be a win-win for everyone. When I say win-win, it's a win for Legacy League. It'll be a win for this other entity. It'll be an absolute win for, uh, for all the athletes that kind of go through the, the platform. So, again, um, that's that's but one example. Um, one thing I should just also suggest, um, you know, just as an aside, right? Yes, uh, we were created to help the, the athletes for sure. Um, there's also, you know, opportunities for us to... Uh, if you will, get into co-branding situations with universities and athletes to the extent that the universities want to make their IP free, you know, to the uh, to the athletes to use it. Right? We can go either way. We can we can go the IP no IP route, and we can have a te- we have a technology that removes logos and blurs everything out to make it basically 100% compliant. Um, or you know, to the extent that universities want to work with the athletes, we'd love that to happen, and uh, love to have that IP involved for the athletes' benefit, obviously. Um, you know, in that in that process, right? We're not a T-shirt maker. We're not. We're not. We're only going to benefit if the athlete and university benefits from it, right? And that's a different dynamic here, right? In, in, in contrast to maybe some of the traditional licensing arrangements, right? So, anyway, I just wanted to bring that to the fore and just say, you know, there's there's another element involved involving universities as well, where you know we can help the athletes. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that you know one of the coolest things about all that you talked about is how much it's evolving, 
right? And I think that you sit at a really interesting spot around the convergence of these things to, to help those student athletes, you know, but also on the flip side as someone like myself as a consumer, right, that that is interested in those collectibles and, and so on. I think it's a really interesting space that continues to evolve and what you've, you know, laid the groundwork for is really cool from, like you've talked about many times, both sides of it, right? And it can it can continue to evolve and be flexible. So, Kurt, tell everybody where they can, can find you and, and Legacy League and, and and, you know, how, how people can get involved with that going forward. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, our, our landing site is Legacy League, www.legacyleague.com. Uh, you can go there. And um, if you're an athlete, you can go up to the athlete zone button, press that button, enter your information. Um, and we can kind of get you started very simply on, on, on the NFT process. If you're interested in, in purchasing uh, and getting early access to our drops on the marketplace, just click the early access button, enter your information, and, and we'll be sure to let everyone know uh, when, when the marketplace goes live and, and we're dropping NFTs. Um, you know, uh, for any athlete uh, that wants to learn more about what we're doing at Legacy League, feel free to, to reach out to me. Um, you know, my email's Kurt at LegacyLeague.com. That's K-U-R-T uh, at LegacyLeague.com. And, you know, to the extent that you want to text me, otherwise you can drive me at 917-374-7566. So here to, uh, here to help everybody uh, really kind of learn what we're up to and you know, help them get started in, in this process. Well, it, it's really cool. And again, you know, Kurt, thank you for the time to not only explain it, all that Legacy League is doing, but to really give a baseline of NFTs and, and those things, because I think it's, a, it's such an evolving space and one that, you know, all of us that love and, and engage in sports all the time will have, you know, in our lives going forward. So again, thank you so much for the time today. Bryce, thank you. Appreciate it.